Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to our wonderful listeners. Uh, today's podcast is going to be focusing in on endometriosis, pain, infertility, and what you can do to live a better life. I'm sitting in a random room in a building that we rented. Uh, my guest today is Jill Mueller. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. We are here together for the International Pelvic Pain Society annual conference, first time in Canada, which is pretty exciting for Very us. Very exciting. And I thought, well, since we're you know bunking together, we should just have a chat. And I kind of see you as kind of the, you know, an expert, uh, at least to me, about endo... Unfortunately, yeah. because I have it. Well, well, that's why I wanted to interview you, is to, to learn from your perspective what it means to live with endometriosis and, like, how can you live well despite, you know, having, you know, this diagnosis, because I see a lot of clients come in and they say, oh, I have have endo but then have these other issues that they're coming in for um and you know selfishly i want to learn more so who better than to interview somebody who has kind of gone through this journey themselves yeah so i guess maybe the best place to start is can you tell can you share with us a little bit about like what your experience with endometriosis has looked like like when did it start what did you feel like what did you go through and yeah um i think i i i mean i didn't know that i had endometriosis but when i was in my 20s i mean i had menstrual extreme menstrual pain and for me actually not a lot of menses usually people have a heavy flow and i barely had anything um that subsequently is due to an abnormal sized uterus but most people will have a heavy menstruation, but a lot of pain with their menstruation. And that's usually their first cue, although it doesn't have to be. For me, that's what it was, but I didn't really find out until I was trying to have get pregnant. And I had a laparoscopy, and that's ultimately what diagnosed it. But really, all the signs were there before that. Right. Okay. So you didn't have a heavy flow, but there was pain. There was a lot of pain. Yeah. Was it like the whole time you were going through your period? Was it just a couple days? Was it a couple days leading up to like, what did that look like for you? Um, so it was definitely cyclical related to my, um, my menstrual cycle. I, it's funny you ask that because I don't have pain anymore. So I'm trying to remember, um, definitely the first, it, you know, it was short too. It's always been short. So I would say the first two days were the worst 
typically women might get away with the first day and then it kind of second day might be worse for them the the first half of their their menstruation is is usually the the worst and then it might taper from there just kind of on that estrogen surge um but that that's kind of what mine was as well so you were just kind of going through a painful period like did you think that that was abnormal like did you think that was normal at Um, the time you know because of the what seemed that the pain didn't it seemed potentially normal like nobody really questioned me on that I was I still went to school and stuff but I really couldn't concentrate it was it was hard to it was hard to manage um but my it was more my flow that made me question things I was like I don't think it's normal to have like a day and a half two days of flow and that's it right so when and I didn't really start to question when I was in my teens I was like it was great but then when I started to get in my 20s and I was like I I feel like this is going to be this isn't healthy this is going to be an issue later when I want to have kids so I did I don't think I suspected endometriosis I don't maybe I did but I mean it wasn't really my job to figure out what it was but I just knew that nobody none of my friends and family had that situation so it seemed weird so then you try were trying to get pregnant like yeah, how did so, like so what led you to the laparoscopy like how did that yeah, it, I think me telling this conversation to my the gynecologist at the time or the um, fertility doctor at the time she was probably like well this sounds like endometriosis um but she said let's do a laparoscopy an exploratory laparoscopy unfortunately i wish retrospectively i said to her well let's be in the room let's book the room with the proper equipment so that you can deal with it at the time but she didn't she said i have a room we can do an exploratory but i don't have um, it's not the room to treat it at the time. So uh, she did check me. I had a stage three plus out of four endometriosis, but she couldn't do anything with it. So I had to like recover and then go back and, and do it again. So that was just dumb. Okay. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, and again, this is my ignorance and I imagine oh. others might yeah. be wondering, but what does a stage three plus out of four mean? Okay, so the endometriosis is diagnosed based on stages. So stage one means basically a a minimal amount of endometrial tissue that is found in the body. I don't know the technical term. I know that stage three plus means that it's more more profound and found, um, like it was found around my ovaries and they were bound down to my peritoneum and which is like a sheath of fascia around the abdomen abdomen um the technical differences i don't quite know but basically in layperson's terms stage one isn't as bad which does not coincide with pain levels so you can have stage one and have excruciating pain and you could have stage three plus like i do and do not have pain 
and I yeah, and I remember I don't know if it was on one of the courses or reading some scientific literature that was saying that um, they've they've I don't know if it was in cadaver I can't remember the context of it but I I just remember it saying like endometrial tissues were found in individuals who did not have oh, pain. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. And they, and and in weird areas, like it could be found in the nasal patch, passage. It can be found in men. It's been found in fetuses. So it's not just a once you hit puberty, you have endometriosis, and then once you hit menstruation, it stops and you don't have it anymore. And it's only in women. So I mean, they don't know everything about it, but they do know that it's not a retrograde from the flow from the uterus out the fallopian tubes, like the backflow instead of out through the vagina. Because I remember somebody saying like you like you shouldn't go upside down I know. when you're menstruating because the blood could like spill out of the uterus and like that's how you might get endometriosis but what you're what the study what you're saying well you know i mean when we don't understand things like you know we don't understand things but i, I guess the what we do know now is that you know those t- that that endometrial tissue is already kind of been there and then the question becomes, yeah. what triggers yeah. somebody to experience pain? Yeah. So they, oh, okay, you were going there. I was going somewhere else. Okay, well, no, um, go, where, <laughs> go where you want to go, and we'll, we're going to loop no, back in. I was anyways. just going to say, they, they suspect genetic factors. They, sus, they do know, they've done, uh, in a, they've done studies on monkeys where they had them exposed to herbicides and inadvertently found that they developed endometriosis. So they, they suspect an environmental factor, which makes out, sense. It could, could be the explanation for the fetuses too, right? Um, where else, what else do they suspect? Um, Autoimmune? Yeah, but that's not a cause. I don't think they think that's a cause. No. They think they they know that when you have um, endometriosis, basically your body is working against itself all the time, fighting. It sees it as a foreign material and... No, 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 it's still going. (laughs) Did you pause me? No, no, um, we're good. They, um, they see it as a foreign agent and therefore it's fighting itself all the time. So you have to do what you can and provide the environment that you can to alleviate any factors that make the body want to fight itself. And so where it goes into pain is what I think. Well, and you're the like, one who went through it, so I, that's why I want to know. I think, and yeah. I know I'm not the only one that yeah. thinks this, so it's a, it's out there. And it's a, this is this conference is a perfect example of where this conversation has gone. It's really interesting. Um, I think the difference between someone having a stage one and someone having a stage three plus four um, endometriosis and either having pain, no pain, is this central sensitization and whether and and the 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 other factors that are going on in their life that might amp up their nervous system and contribute to those pain factors. So it's not just one thing. It's it's and that's the good that's the good no, news 
folks, is that you can be living with this and work your way out of pain, which is what I have done and not through surgery. I had surgery, but I had pain after that anyway and have subsequently worked, worked through, my, that. Yeah, worked through that. So I want to just come back uh, for yeah. a moment to talk about central sensitization because yeah. uh, probably people's eyes may have gone googly a little bit yeah. uh, going what yeah. are big you talking word. about big word. yeah big word big word um, so I thought maybe you and I can kind of tease yeah. out Go for it. what that means and I and I and I'm I'm hesitant to start the conversation no. mainly because I know um, like a lot of the pain neuroscience when we're like I'm always working on a way to try to help my clients understand central sensitization in a way that they don't interpret yeah, as it's in their head. it's in their head yeah it's um, not I mean all pain is determined in the head so we can make that statement but it is it creates physiological changes in our body that can produce pain like it, your pain is real, so it's not in your it's not in your head. It's not you like you're imagining. Yeah, yeah, you're not imagining. Yes, that is a good point. You're yeah. not just imagining it, and if you think about something else, it'll go away. You have to train your brain. You literally have to train your brain to get out of those pain pathways. So it's like our nervous system is sensitive, and and there are many factors that can and our nerve it's kind of in this fight or flight system and we want to help calm that system and and oh my gosh help me out uh well i i think of it like an, a home alarm system right and i use that example often that you know we have receptors in our tissues Right. And I think of like three different receptors that are really important. Right. Like temperature. I need to know when hot and cold is dangerous. Uh, chemical. Like I need to know if like my tissue is not getting enough oxygen and my carbon dioxide is going up. Like I need to know I'm getting into some danger zones or if somebody's like pressing or squeezing me too hard. Like I need to know from yeah. a mechanical so perspective. Survival, survival but in central sensitization, <laughs> it's almost like those receptors it's like they become overreactive. Yeah. It's like a motion detector going off because a leaf flew yeah. by. And and yes, of course, we want to know if there's motion being detected near our home. But if it's like if the alarm's going off every single time, like a rabbit or a squirrel walks by, it's like it sets off this whole cascade of physiological responses that puts us into fight or flight, which means we're in survival mode and when we're in survival mode certain tasks and functions shut down while other functions are heightened mm -hmm. that can lead to muscular tension fascial tension pain outside of like a nerve distribution because it's like the brain's going oh my god something bad is happening but it's like it doesn't get the memo that it was a leaf blowing by, right? It, well, it, and on that analogy, when the alarm is going off all the time, the neighbors start get, getting alerted. Right. And then neighbors are now coming out of the house and going, what's going on? And the, the neighbor analogy comes into 
the fact that endometriosis can can also alert the bladder and the bowel yes and crosstalk the crosstalk and into the digestive system so so you start start to see a lot of what we would call in the medical community as comorbidities so as the patient you start to notice that you might have painful urination or IBS IBS a lot of digestive issues so um yeah it's really is it the end but so then the question becomes is it the endometriosis that's causing the problem or are we talking about yeah. the brain and the way that the, the nervous yeah. system is talking to the so brain that is that is the ultimate question because again it comes back to the fact that you so some people could dispute the fact that those endometrial tissues i we, we to, in the medical world we say lesions but i i I don't love that word because it sounds so scary. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we, if you look at a distribution of endometriosis, which can be ultimately uh, many places, but a lot of common places it will go is between the bladder and the uterus. The bladder sits in front of the uterus, and then the rectum sits behind it. So there's these little pouches that between them, where the endometrial tissue will often kind of go and that that can cause some restriction there so ultimately that can cause bladder pain I mean one would dispute that it can cause bladder pain syndrome or it can cause pain on defecation pooing for anybody who doesn't yeah. know what that means yeah or pain on intercourse like deep intercourse um if the cervix doesn't isn't as mobile so but on the other end we another dis, dispute might be that someone might have all those findings and yet not be uncomfortable with any of those so i don't know we we don't we don't really know what makes one suffer and another not i want to ask about diet and the reason I, I, I want to ask about <laughs> diet in your experiences because when I think about you know when I think about chemical receptors and I think about the immune system and you know you have this tissue that the immune system thinks is like this isn't supposed to be here mm -hmm. and it mobilizes I also wonder if that tissue is sensitive to like systemic inflammation meaning mm -hmm. In inflammation that's within our bloodstream that's just flowing across our body maybe be for you know maybe I have too much sugar we know that sugar can be a very inflammatory um, I guess I don't know I, I want to say marker but that's not the word that I'm looking for but can be very inflammatory and that if there's inflammation in the bloodstream and you have this hypersensitive receptor right and then it's mobile does it react, does it react? yeah so uh, well from my experience um i so when i was trying to get pregnant one thing was my lining wouldn't thicken and in order for the embryo to embed the lining in my uterus and so she she had me on estrogen patches lots of oral estrogen um she had me on Viagra at one time, which had preliminary research to show it might help increase blood circulation to the uterus. 
didn't do anything for my libido, by the way. But um, so I, a friend of mine said, why don't you try an anti-inflammatory diet? And I was like, well, what the hell? I'm paying tens of thousands of dollars. This will be a cheap way yeah, to see if exactly. it does anything. And what's, there's no side effects, right? Yeah. So I went on an anti-inflammatory diet, which is generally not fun. Um, you take out sugar, alcohol, gluten, soy, corn, dairy. Those were the things that I took out. It, it didn't happen on Monday, folks. Let me just tell you that. Like yeah. it was, there was a lot of going back and forth and fighting and like. Uh, but at that point, I was in a desperate time, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna dedicate my, you know, I'm gonna do it for a month and let's see if anything happens because I had nothing to lose at that point. So I did it. wasn't easy. It's easier now than it was at back then. Yeah. But and it is anyway. I'll just say it's doable. It's, it's doable. And it's, um, there's a lot more resources than there were back then. Um, so I did that. And within two weeks, the doctor who was doing the ultrasounds on me said, uh, what, what's going on? All of a sudden your lining is starting to thicken. And I said, it is the, it's the food I know. And I suspected gluten over anything, but it's interesting because I had no I, ha I didn't have any digestive symptoms, which is not always typical. Like a lot of people with endometriosis have digestive discomfort and bloating and everything. But anyway, I used that. And that is with the one thing that allowed us to go on and do IVF and successfully carry a child. I think the first thing I wanted once I got pregnant was a bagel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I did watch things after that. But I did notice that my my pain started to go down so pain with because i was still having some periods um before we could ultimately do the ivf yeah um and and then even subsequently after i gave birth but the thing is i got i think the thing is i got my my inflammation down by doing the diet there are many ways to do, to decrease your inflammation and you don't sometimes need to be as drastic as i was um but it got my inflammation down really quickly so that now I eat intuitively. I don't have to stay at that strict of a diet and be pain free. I can tell when I've eaten too much gluten or too much dairy only through my, I'm so aware of my body now. And it doesn't necessarily go as far as going to pain, but I can feel digestive. when you're off, when yeah. I'm off, I feel that I'm off. But when you're in an inflammatory state, you can't tell. There's like no barometer. It's like everything because stopped. it's like I'm like 2.5 percent lower in yeah. my inflammation now than it was. It, yeah. Like it's at like that you're point, inflammation. You're in inflammation. Like it's just you're it's in, hard to see the change. Yes, it's so you so hard. almost have to be drastic yeah. about what you're doing. But I think the piece that's important that you've just said is that that re, that self awareness piece, right? Huge. And, and so I wonder how much did mindfulness quote, I, I'm putting air quotes to the mindfulness piece, but that self-awareness piece that, that taking the time to feel what is going on with your body, to have the awareness, to see that you're slightly off and know, like, well, I'm, I'm a physio, so I feel like we're all we tend to be a little bit aware of our body <laughs> for good and for bad 
So there's that. Yes. Um, but. But in I, your patients, perhaps, that you've worked with, do you find positive response when you start getting them to focus in on bodily sensations? Because oftentimes yes. they get overwhelmed with unpleasant yeah. bodily sensations that it feels like all they are ever in yes. is unpleasant yeah. and can't recognize anything else. And there's a lot of, the suffering comes from resistance to that. So we kind of want to either fight, flight, or freeze from that, right? If we are uncomfortable, we might dissociate. We might um, run away or push it down or push it down or barrel or fight through it, which are all counterproductive to soothing it. So once you learn to, it's funny because I was never really resistant to my pain. So that might actually be why I, what was very helpful. I, I just saw it as like, I, I, I just, I don't know, maybe I barreled through it a little bit, but I wasn't like, I didn't identify with that pain. I saw myself as another person outside of it. Which right. is actually an interesting statement that I said another person outside of it. So we'll work on that thought piece. But the mindfulness and the awareness is super helpful because you get to see that you're not identified by this thing only and it doesn't over consume you. So that is not an easy thing to teach. But if you can teach to mindfulness, mindfulness is very, I actually find mindfulness is one of the easiest ways to kind of become aware of your of yourself in your surroundings without just being dictated by your pain and your suffering. I think that's a big awareness actually, because then it brings perspective to you in the world. Like you're not just this. And and if it's cyclical, it's easier to do that. If it's more chronic uh, every day, it's a little harder to to see that. To tease things out. Yeah. Yeah. But my, but but where I went from the the dietary stuff was recognizing the importance of calming my nervous system because it didn't ultimately dissipate entirely until I started to be use meditation and calm the other. I was very anxious. I was anxious with um, my actually after I had my son, I realized I had had anxiety after I had my, after I ovulated, my body had learned to be anxious before I got my next period, but only because there was 10 years of fertility. So it learned to be anxious. Am I pregnant or not pregnant? But once I learned to calm that anxiety, I got rid of the pain. Okay. For my period. So, which is, I, I feel like there's probably people listening who are probably thinking the same thing. How? Like how, how did you, how did you recognize your nervous system was like, actually, you know what? It wasn't me. Okay. So I, you and I will teach these things to patients and these awarenesses all the time. I was living in it and had no idea. It was my front staff lady who is a hypnotherapist and a Reiki master. And she was like, Jill your body learned how to be anxious before you got your period. And I was like, holy crap. Okay. So how did you begin to recognize that for yourself? Like how So that, that was, so then I started to kind of keep track and I was like, well, I did notice that I, 
in the first half of my cycle, I had a lot more energy, I could work out, I was good, and then and then there were times when I would be running and everything in my body wanted me to walk and and just take out my earbuds and be present. And I was like, what? Why am I having such a hard time struggling with running sometimes and not other times? And I started to keep track with that. And it was in the second half, but no, this is a lot of awareness, people. But this is over, oh my gosh, we're like 20, 15, 20 years of figuring this stuff out. So if you go to someone who can help you figure this, these patterns out, a therapist, a, a physiotherapist, a psychotherapist, or a social worker, or someone might be able to point these these things out. But these are little cues that you might notice um, with yourself, like your thoughts, your emotions tied into your pain. Like they do make a big impact into pain. And if you can see those connections, then you can work to do something about those as well, not just the physical, not just taking a pill to get rid of your pain. Right, right. That's where I found the change happened. So you, uh, okay, so I just want to tie back real quickly because you did end up having surgery. Now, did you have an ablation or was it an excision? It was, well, I didn't, I didn't know at the time, but now I know it was ablation. And, and that is, is that's when they just cauterize the surface. You mean burn? Burn it, yeah. Sorry, burn it off versus cut it out. Okay. So yep. it's kind of endometriosis can be like an iceberg where they, um, you know, either take care of the surface or they get rid of the whole thing underneath. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But you're saying like, despite having the surgery, yeah. you continue to have pain. I did. Um, yeah. And so then it was like, okay, well, you know, if surgery is kind of like that last resort and it didn't. Actually, I didn't do it for the pain. So yeah. that's the funny thing. I wasn't okay. even doing it for the pain. The... Was Again, it for the... I think I was, yeah, it was for the fertility. I wasn't even thinking that it would be getting rid of the pain. I don't know. I'm a very ignorant physio back then um, with myself, but I did it for the fertility reasons, and it was it was all around my ovaries, and it was affecting my fertility because the eggs weren't being. I think my left ovary wasn't even anywhere near my fallopian tube. It was like way down in my pelvis. So obviously the egg is just like free floating, free floating around in there. Um, yeah, it, and those, my tubes were open, which it, the, the endometriosis can affect your tubes. They did a test for that and they were open. But I think the fact was that the eggs weren't. And plus, now, now I know I was also very upregulated. So that affects your fertility. So, and upregulated meaning stress. Stress, yeah. 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 Just, just making sure oh, right. I, 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 I fill in the pieces yeah. for, for. You can translate for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I tend yeah. to do. Is just be like, well, I'm just gonna assume people don't know what yeah, that means. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so dietary changes, lot of um, sort of body awareness, really focusing in on thoughts, emotions. Really exercise. looking. The right exercise, I think. So exercise was an important piece. So what did that look like for you? 
sometimes it was going for a hardcore run because I needed to get it out of me and other times it was about doing yoga and calming the mind so it it's going to fluctuate and that's where the the awareness comes in if you want to if I would say the safest bet is to go on the more calming side so yoga qigong tai chi walks in nature mindful walks in nature meditation that side of things then the running part the the hardcore i'm not saying don't run but until you have a lot of awareness i think it's best to calm the system and then figure out what your body truly needs because i i see a lot of at high-end athletes and perfectionists and they their running is their outlet but it's an added it's another stress to the body well because you can also get exercise induced cortisol which yes. is the stress hormone yes but right. it also can reduce stress so that until you have that awareness i think you don't know where to stop yeah, uh, yeah or exactly. right because you're not paying attention to the subtle changes in your in in your body yeah where does sleep come in oh my gosh sleep is everything and can be the first place that I start with people so we definitely ask about sleep as physios and pelvic physios Um, and I think if you are not getting sleep that is ultimately a massive stress on your body like we can't function without sleep so it's uh, never mind clarity energy relationship but you know what it is resiliency too right like think about the stuff that we have to like listen we're not gonna not have stress in our day to day no like we we got tons of input happening to us Mm -hmm. all the time like that's not that's not necessarily going to change but if you haven't slept yeah your body your body and your mind only has so much tolerance And it's not going to be able to create balance homeostasis within its system when it is tired. Yeah. And your cortisol. Well, well, yeah. And then your cortisol (laughs) levels are also increased, which makes your immune system not optimal. And then makes your digestion not optimal, which also makes reproduction not optimal. Why? Because the brain thinks there's a saber-toothed tiger trying to eat you. I don't think people put enough emphasis on the importance of sleep. I think we almost see it as a badge of honor if you are still half functioning and you only had four hours four of hours sleep. of sleep. So I think we need to change that stigma and that conversation and really educate people. About you know the what importance. it is? It's you're not. It's like it's a you're not being productive when you're sleeping and and and, right like we're our cell phones 24 set like be available 24 7 like what do you mean you're sleeping right yeah and like there's just so many things to get done and yet that to-do list never it doesn't ever really seem to shrink like i you know empty out one to-do list and the next day there's literally the same just different items on that to-do list. Yeah. Um, so I, I think some of it is like in this hyper productivity and hyper efficiency, except that when you're not sleeping, you're not very efficient. Because yeah. it probably takes you two to three times as much effort to get that done that by the time you get home, there's no more energy left for exercise. There's no more energy left to cook a good 
wholesome meal. It's just like which is why some that's where we need to start with people. And if people are listening and they don't have the energy to exercise and they don't have the energy to make healthy meals, evaluate your sleep. If if that is something that isn't great and you're thinking that you need to exercise, I would actually start with the sleep and make sure you get the sleep in yeah. so that you do have a little bit more energy to devote to the other things that you know that you should be doing. Yeah. And it's not just about sleep, what we call sleep hygiene, which you can easily Google or we could well give them resources or something. But well, actually, we have a podcast with a sleep consultant oh, that perfect. I did. We talked about sleep hygiene. I'm pretty sure it's episode 26. So two episodes, but you know, a couple episodes back. So just go check that out if oh you need gosh. sleep hygiene tips. Totally yeah. check that out because it's so important. It's, yeah. And it's a good place. It's a good place to start if you are tired all the time and not getting a good sleep. And doesn't really matter what your pain is. If you're not sleeping, like, it should be kind of, like, the number one mission. And sleep makes a big impact on pain. Yes. So it's all all good with a good night's sleep. Is there anything else that you did for yourself that you found really helpful and valuable? Well, I... I don't have pain with intercourse, but I see a place as a now that I'm a pelvic physio as well definitely for people with endometriosis because they often have pain with intercourse or pelvic pain and the pelvic floor muscles can be very you don't go doing kegels because you're probably too tight tight, yeah so and there's too much tension in the pelvic floor muscles and you need to learn how to relax those muscles and as well as we have the ability to check and see if there's reasons inside that might be contributing to that that pelvic pain with intercourse, whether it be on initial penetration or deep penetration. Um, we can assess and, and treat that as a as an option. So I didn't have that as one of my issues, but I but it is a common issue with endometriosis. So I think pelvic physiotherapy has a very big place. Absolutely. Well, yeah. keeping the tissues healthy, flexible, moving yeah. in in their optimal and that resting your tone. Relationship and your social, you know, like your relationship and, can get affected. And it also comes back to what's driving those muscles to become tight in the yeah. first place, which comes yeah. back to the nervous, yeah. you know, we, we come back yeah. to the central sensitization piece, yeah. which is the nervous system. If you are not in a you know, if if you're not in a relaxed sense of, well, we call it parasympathetic. I mean, if you're not in your rest, digest, repair, yeah. and reproduce system, like yeah. oftentimes you're going to be in fight or flight. And when you are, it's, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, you're going to be more tense. Yeah. Well, if you're tense, so are your muscles. Yeah. So is the connective tissue. And guess what's not getting enough oxygen and getting enough energy? Well, the nerves and the tissues. Eventually, they get tired. They get tight. Then you have a penis poking it. It, it hurts, <laughs> right? So, you know, we're, we're looking. I think we think about it very holistically. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. And I think it's important that people do think about it outside of just okay. the tissue yes, and absolutely. just the pain. So, so 
so important and that's why this conference is so interesting because it's multidisciplinary so we have doctors in there psychologists in there gynecologists yep. uh i assume urologists yep so the conversations at the round table when we're given a case study is so interesting and we all kind of go to our common places and the moderators keep bringing us back to the looking at the person as a whole and addressing the psychological, the physical, the emotional, the social aspects of the person. And, and I think we need to do that with ourselves too, regardless of whether you have endometriosis or not. And I feel like, okay, so you're, you know, uh, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, seems like a really long time to, to like be figuring things out. But, but there is something to be said about, you know, this is a journey. This is your self-discovery journey. Like this is kind of like the obstacle that's been put in your, in your, in your life experience to help you, uh, hopefully to, you know, motivate you to really look at, you know, what does this all mean for me and how can I live better and how can I make sense of this and how can I move forward? Um, So there is that piece of like self-efficacy, which to to the layperson just means like we're here to try to help you, you know, do for yourself, right? Because at the end of the day, I can tell you that, you know, you need to see a nutritionist and eat better, but if you don't do that, yeah. right, it, it kind of limits the results. If I can tell you and explain to you why sleep is important, but unless you prioritize it as part of your healing journey, you know, things are not necessarily going to change. Like, we're not here to change you. Yeah. We're here to help you change yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we're your guides. We're, right? we're the guides. Yep. No, I think it's it's important to make people realize all of the factors that might be inputting into their discomfort, whatever it is, and um, and what they can do once they once they understand how the system works. Most people just have never been introduced to it before, yeah. but um, once they're introduced to it, and it is an art to introduce it to people because it's you, there's no protocol on how to how to do pain education. It. Yeah. Yeah. So just basic bottom line is knowing that we as people are made up more than just physical. We are emotional beings. We are social beings. We are psychologically and spiritually spiritually. And if any one of those factors is not happy, it it will let us know somehow it may not be pain. It may be anxiety. It may be anger. It may be be depression, depression, Right. But if it is pain, that's usually what's bringing people into our door. Yeah. Yeah. And and we are then saying to them, OK, so let's look at you as the whole and look at you as the parts of you that make up you. And is there any part of this that you're you not would, happy with that you yeah. are thinking might be contributing? And once they realize that, like they kind of know. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether and they may not be with us, like if we can introduce if we if they we determine with them that the psychological for example is really being challenged right now that's when we can say okay 
would you be up for going and speaking with somebody about this or doing CBT or doing whatever? ACT. Yeah. Or yeah. Cognitive all sorts of behavioral. Yeah. These are. Yeah. Cognitive. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance <laughs> and commitment yeah. therapy, yeah. Um, emotional based therapy. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different lots approaches. Of yeah. 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 Um, But it may not be us as physios that. But we might be planting the seed. We might be planting the seed. Yeah. But I, the, the take-home messages were made up of more than just the physical self, and the physical self might be manifesting because of Something another, else. yeah, like another avenue that might be contributing to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I've really in enjoyed kind of this conversation of kind of well kind of well no no um you know it's the end of the night and things are not quite clear uh but i meant to say i've really enjoyed being able to uh speak both professionally as colleagues um but also try to help anybody who might be listening who may be experiencing this that like we're therapists but we're also humans and we go through our own issues yeah. and uh, I think that propels us to do what we do because if we've seen benefits in our own selves we want to just share that with Absolutely. others right yeah. it makes us a little more passionate a little more compassionate and empathetic and yeah if we can help people that's what we want to do that's what we want to do uh in case somebody's really you know resonating with you and they want to follow you where might they be able to contact you or find you or follow you so <laughs> i work at a clinic in oakville ontario canada called Healthy Balance Physiotherapy and Wellness. And the website is www.hbpw, Healthy Balance Physiotherapy and Wellness.ca. And uh, my personal website is jillmuller.ca. And my handles are at jillmullerpt. And all of this will be put in the show notes in case you're wondering about spelling. Oh, yeah, and... Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Yeah, no, no, now we dropped it when we came over here. Yeah, <laughs> so all of that will be in the show notes to make it just easy for people to like click along. Yeah. Um, because some people might be listening while they're driving, and I don't recommend you yeah. trying to write that down. No, don't do that. Yeah, um, so they can follow you there, which is amazing. I want to thank you so much for you know, we could be probably sleeping right now, but we're chatting instead, so I appreciate that. You know, we we dedicated this time to have this conversation because hopefully it's going to help somebody. Yeah. You know, it's my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks and for having me. thank you again. I'm sure we'll have some future conversations. Uh, you know, down the road. So good. I want to thank our listeners for listening today today's episode. Of course, if you know anybody who might be having pain, they don't necessarily have to have endometriosis, but any kind of pain, this is great to share with them. Of course, subscribe to the podcast so you stay up to date with all of our wonderful episodes. Uh, And we just thank you all for listening. So till next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. 
Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.